All right, y'all, we are going to dive right into the fact that it is Thursday night, but I refuse to let another week go by without getting to talk to you. And one of these days, y'all, I dream of this podcast being recorded in some fun little studio, not like a big studio, but just like a cool little space where we get to chat it out and I get to consistently upload every week. And I, you know, for those of you that are new here, welcome to the After Hours with Amanda podcast, uh, the podcast that shares about parenting, um, but literally just takes from life on the journey that we're all living together. It's a community. It's a coffee chat. It is time together. So if you are new around here, buckle up for the most relaxed, unprofesh, more along the lines of, I don't even know what to call it, just the podcast that is not sponsored, produced, or anything. Um, and, and who knows, honestly, one day what it'll look like. But today, it looks like us sitting in a closet. Um, I'm recording myself on an online website, which I will then upload to Anchor, which is the host site that I do this on. And we're just going to kind of like dive in. I know it's been a couple weeks and honestly, I, I'm sitting here with some pineapple juice and some cookie dough bites and my tiny people are going to sleep watching Sing 2. We started swim this week. Eating cookie dough before I started talking was not the, it was not the choice here. (laughs) Okay. Hold on. We started swim this week. And I just need to be honest with you on a real level when I tell you that as a parent, there are certain things that people thrive at and certain things that I just learned very early on were not going to be for me. And that was doing any type of organized sport that took up our weeknights and our weekends before my kids were able to kind of verbalize something. And I'm I'm not talking about the fun of, you know, some kids enjoy doing soccer, some little girls enjoy doing dance, you know, the, the different things, right? I'm talking about something that envelops what you're doing and takes specific extra time, right? So finally, we had talked about swim last year and we reached this year and I thought, you know what, it'd be good for London. It's not technically swim season yet, um, which you'll be told if you tell anyone that you've started swim, someone will say, uh, it's not swim season. This is technically our March clinic. So this is the time to kind of refresh your skills before the practices start and the different events start and kind of like allow people newer, like, you know, LB to come in and, and try some different things and learn some, you know, basic skills to kind of continue to develop. And I will tell you what, I do not for a second regret that this is our first entrance into this because it is an absolute commitment to go from school, to get to homework, to do swim, to come home, to shower, to bathe, to dinner, to reading, to the other kids' homework, Um, because Paige being in kindergarten at the school she's at, she has homework. And I've definitely noticed the girls are tired and I am tired. Now we are enjoying the ride. We are enjoying the snack bar trips, but that is not to say that there isn't a level of commitment, right? And there's kind of this fun too, like reminiscent living the dream. Like tonight we finished and I was like, you know what, who wants ice cream? So we headed to McDonald's and we got, you know, like we had the dollar fry because we ordered something 
And then we went to Target and we're all sharing this large fry in the car, you know, passing out fries and the girls have their ice cream. And it was this kind of fun nostalgia for me as a, as a, as a human being, because I remember doing that with my family. And so to have it with my girls, there's like this really interesting full circle, but like very different kind of vibe. And I loved it. And it was kind of cool. Um, but it kind of leads me into something that I actually went live on TikTok today. And I used to go live all the time, for those of you that don't know. Um, when I first started out on TikTok, going live was like one of my favorite things because you can talk to your community immediately. And it's not like an Instagram live. I don't know why. TikTok just feels way more um, coffee visit, whereas Instagram feels more like interview. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I haven't done Instagram as much as I've done TikTok when it comes to going live, but it was fun today. I was having this mood and you know when you can tell that if you don't get ready for the day and one other thing doesn't go as planned or you feel any worse than you already do, you might hit that spiral. You might start to do the, you know, the, the circling the drain of the emotions is kind of how it is for me. And so I got up late because I was exhausted. I was tired. I was like, you know what? I don't need to shave my legs, get ready, change my clothes. Like we are just literally straight pajama driving, coat over, sunglasses, drop off, no shame in that game. And I got home and I had a friend coming over to chat with today and it was about nine o'clock and I was just like realizing that I was getting into this headspace that I just knew was not going to be good. Like I know myself well enough to know the signs of when I can see that I'm just going to have issue if I don't do something. So I was like, I need to get ready. Um, I need to get ready. I need to do my makeup. I just need to change my outfit. Like I have to kind of do that for my mental health. And I went ahead and I started to get ready and it was taking me forever. I was so slow. I just had no motivation to do it. I was just like sitting in the tub after shaving my legs, just sitting there. And Corey's talking to me and I'm just literally sitting there. And then I was like, you know what? I need to go live that'll be fun. I'll go live while I do my makeup and it will give me purpose because I'll feel like I'm talking and doing, and that will get me all this headspace. And it's exactly what it did. But something that it also did was it spurred on something that I am super passionate about. And I don't think it's talked about enough. And with us entering swim this week, I thought what better time to kind of talk about this idea, um, that one of my friends reminded me of this week when I was on the phone of her with her when she talked about this achievement culture. And I say that with, you might already know what that is. You might already know what that feels like. Um, that idea of go, 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 right? Like that, bo that boss mentality of like the grind and all that stuff. But like, where does that start? And I'm going to share like candidly with you now because we've come on the journey of doing this as a family and we've made a decision and um, our girls will actually be mixing up their schooling next year. They'll be venturing to a new school. We're very excited about it for all three of them. Um, we loved the school they were at, but as far as the journey long-term for them as students, the level of progression of academia, of pushing and moving and doing and going and homework and projects and expectations and 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 studying and scores and all this stuff when looking long term for them it just didn't feel like a fit for what we wanted for our tiny people this kind of even higher than normal expectation on the academics and that's not to say academics aren't important 
But if I'm to be super honest with you, I think that it is not even in my top five of what I'm worried about. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you guys. As long as my kids learn what they need to, I don't really care if they're a straight A student. I have no desire to hold that expectation. I believe in them doing their best in the situation, the best that they can do. And that is not necessarily represented by an A. It's just not, it's not represented by 100%. It's not represented by getting it all right. And when I look at where the focus would be for them long-term, although this school is lovely and wonderful, and I am so obsessed with so many of the educators at this institution, long-term for what we want, it was not what we were looking for. And so we went and we ventured and we did some research and we found a school that uses so many of the exact same things, but the way that they approach it is far more in a learning style versus a testing style. They want to make sure that concept is resonating. So you're going to get to retake a test. You're going to walk through the test. You're going to do these different, you know, variations of how you might need to take the test versus just being like, this was your flat score. This is what you got. This is what was wrong. The end. Goodbye. All done. And what some would refer to, um, depending on how you view education as a quote unquote, slower pace of learning or more um, kind of relaxed form of learning, I find a beautiful style for young people, for tiny humans. And it's funny because I was on my live today and someone asked me a question and they said, what do you do? to get that two-year-old away from the passy. <laughs> Sorry. I tried not to snicker on the live, and I literally, the first thing out of my mouth, y'all, I said, I am not your resource for this. I am not your authority. I am not about to give you advice on this. I have a four-year-old currently with a pacifier. Um, and I could literally give three rips. Do not care. It, I always think that sound, I do not care. because I don't. Um, And I said in the live today, I said, this idea that your child is somehow going to be detrimentally impacted. And people are going to say what they want about, oh, dental, oh, speech, oh, this, oh, that. And my response to that is always like, they will figure it out. Corey takes out her passy when she talks. If there is speech issues, that pacifier is necessarily not going to be the main cause of it. And people can argue or disagree with me on that. For me personally, I'm just at this point in my life where I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. We had that passy and she was done with it at two. It had been gone for several months and then Corona hit. And you know what? That girl regressed and I could have given a flying flip because she was just surviving. Okay. We were, we were all surviving. And she's still currently surviving because if I'm still surviving, I know for sure the four-year-old's still surviving, right? And I just, I said on the live today, I said, you know what? I was on a phone conversation with a girlfriend of mine who I treasure. I don't get to spend a ton of time with her, but she is just somebody that I feel comfortable calling, even though we're probably not even in like the besties realm, right? But she is just a human being that if I need certain conversations, I'm going to call her because I know she's going to give me an honest answer. And I know that she also kind of loves Jesus in the way that I do. And so when I need there to be this kingdom perspective and I need her to encourage my soul specifically, I'm going to go to her. Okay. And we were on the phone together and um, I, I met her through this school that we're currently at. 
that will be moving on from next year. And she has kind of gone a different route as well. Theirs was way previous to other things and had different reasons. Um, but she said something to me on the phone and she's like, you know, Amanda, you, you're never one that has struck me as someone who's like, my kid has to go to an Ivy league and they have to do this and they have to do that. You know, cause my, my belief is as long as my kid's mental health feels good, as long as they like themselves, as long as they know the resources to be kind and good and gentle and sweet and encouraged, like as long as they're decent people, I do not care what their resume looks like. And you couldn't convince me otherwise. You just couldn't. And she said, you know, Amanda, if anybody is telling you or you are stuck in this mentality that if I don't make the right choice for preschool or if I don't make the right choice for K through fifth or if I don't make the right choice at this certain structure or point in my life that everybody has else said that it has mattered so much, that's not you. That is that achievement culture mentality and it's toxic. And I'm going to tell you how it seeps in because you don't see it seeping in, but especially as a parent, and if if you are a teen or you are a college student listening to this, you may have felt this, right? You may be experiencing it now because I know I went through it and I know I still go through it. And it's weird how that plays into parenting. And it was interesting because I even said it today on the live and it came to me when I was talking to my girlfriend. Mm. this pineapple juice from Trader Joe's is out of this world delicious. Anyways, so that achievement culture starts from the beginning of your pregnancy because everything is a percentage where you're measuring. And and like, look, I'm not demonizing doctors. I'm not going to demonize the education system. I'm not demonizing all that. I am just giving you a big red flag for how this seeps into your thinking and how no matter what age or or wherever you are in your pit stop on life, how it can continue to plague you along that journey. Thinking, oh, I've grown out of this. Oh, I went to college. Oh, I did this. I don't have to worry about it. Oh, it's only the workplace. No, boo-boo. Let me tell you. You're pregnant. It is. What is your weight? What is the baby measuring? And yes, these are all wonderful health things to take into consideration, right? You want to make sure that you know, baby is feeling good and baby is, you know, growing and developing, right? Okay. And that's fine. That's fine. Well, then you have the baby, right? And immediately the pediatricians go into this, what percentile you're in. Immediately the comparison of where they fall on the charts. And yes, these are helpful tools to alert you if something is, you know, not totally on track and it can help you to ensure that there isn't something underlying that you need to address. So everyone could put the disclaimers on it that they want that makes this the right thing to do, but I'm going to tell you how this can skew your vision. And this can skew your vision in the way that it makes you start to compare your child literally when they're a fetus to when they're literally babbling in front of you pooping their pants. You're looking at them and they're like, "So, Are they saying mom or dad yet? Have they talked? Are they making sounds? Are they babbling? Are they moving? What is the difference? And is this a necessary evil? On some level, of course it is, right? Of course it is, right? We justify it that way. It's a necessary evil. We're doing, you know, this, 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 this. But then the conversation, because of those appointments, because of those comparisons, those conversations, they take place outside of the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. And what do those look like? Oh, well, Bobby's crawling already. Yeah, Bobby's crawling. What's, 
What's Sammy doing? Is Sammy crawling? Sammy's not crawling? Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Bobby's crawling. Bobby loves saying mama, dada. What happens in this conversation, even if it's not meant to, you immediately feel like you are doing something wrong. Oh my gosh. Something is up. Something is up. What am I doing wrong? I'm not doing enough. Oh my gosh. Are they okay? Are they doing good? Are they going to be okay? What's going on here? And then it goes to even the comparison of what are you feeding that child? What are you doing? And it gets you into this point as a parent of a tiny person where you are so focused on what everybody else is doing, what those expectations look like, and how the child, if it's not meeting the mark, already doesn't fit into it. And the achievement culture starts there. Crawling is a milestone, right? But it's seen as an achievement. Talking is a developmental milestone ranked as an achievement. Walking developmental milestone has a long range of how it could happen. There's no, there's no like, oh, whoa, hold on, right? Like, for example, you could say, I, London walked at 10 months old. All right, girlfriend was ready to rock. She was out and about. She's going to, Paige could not walk till she was almost 16 months old. Paige had different issues with crawling. She couldn't crawl till she was almost eight and a half months old. We learned it had something to do with her hip. We worked at that. Corey crawled at six months, didn't walk till 14 months. There was nothing up with her hip. Those milestones look different. And do you want to know why they look different? Because uh, tiny people are literal individuals. They are a unique strand of all the things put together that's specific to them. But this, did they walk? Did they talk? Do they still have a passy? Are they sleeping through the night? This achievement mentality that shouldn't even be tied to some type of achievement. Because do you know what happens when you tie it to an achievement? You make it reflective of you as a parent. And it's really shitty. Because without knowing it, without intentionally doing it, as those developmental milestones get ranked up in your mind against how you're doing as a parent or the doctor speaking to you because you're the adult who talks, right? You're the one who's the advocate for the tiny person. It then makes what the tiny person does about you and reflective of you. And you're not even seeing this seep in. You're not even realizing how this is coming in and working on your mindset and overtaking your view of how things are happening, coloring your view. And it was weird because when I realized this, this, this like explosion happened in my brain and I'm like, wait, wait a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. People always are like, oh, how did you begin gentle parenting? How did you? I didn't even like know what gentle parenting was. I started parenting differently and that was what people referred to it as. I, I didn't understand this whole, like, I don't look at the girls and I'm like, guys, mommy doesn't like when you slap her across the face. You know, we've talked about this and a ton of people make TikToks about this now, which I love. You know, they, they, they show what it literally looks like, right? The way that this became something for me was when I realized that by making what they did reflective of me as a parent, as an identity, I was doing a disservice to them because they cannot live up to the standard I have on myself. I naturally want to do as much as possible, be as much as possible. I never feel like I'm doing enough for this community. I never feel totally deserving of this community. I feel like, oh my gosh, Amanda, you need to show up more for them. You need to, you know, make that TikTok, show up on Instagram. And it's not this pressure that our, that, that you as friends put on me. 
It's something I put on myself. So imagine how that translates. If that's how I treat myself, right? Imagine how I unknowingly, when I'm in conversations and people are like, my kid's walking, my kid's talking. Oh, your kid still have a, has a passy? Oh, do you know what you're doing? Blah, 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 blah. And then instead of looking at maybe why she has the pacifier still, she's dealt with a freaking pandemic. Okay. Instead of viewing her experience, I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, people are going to think I'm a bad parent uh, because of people's opinions. I have to take this safety net from you. I don't need to look at why you have it or a way to kind of go about finding you something that could graduate you from that, right? I need to immediately look at how this is reflective of me. How is my dentist going to view me? How is my pediatrician going to view me? How are my friends going to view me? How are people on social media going to view me? And it's like, what is wrong with you? Stop. And I'm talking to myself here. So don't feel like I'm guilting you. I'm not guilting you. I'm just telling you the thought process and experience that I kind of go through in this thought process. This idea of this achievement culture that then, boom, get into school, get into school, boom, you're three. Hey, are they identifying the ABC? Can your kid tell me one through 10? Can you tell me what colors there are? Can you tell me what this is? Oh, are, are you reading yet? Well, you need to pick, pick it up. Come on. You're at what grade level? Yeah, no, you need to, mm, you know what? Maybe they need tutoring. They're not quite keeping up with the curve. You need to get them in tutoring. Never mind them. Maybe, maybe the child is just not really inspired by reading a book. Maybe they are inspired by blocks or art or listening to a book. Maybe they love to imagine as someone reads to them, but nope, forget that. Forget any of that stuff. No, sir. No, sir. Your child should be devouring books one by one because the, a, a good reader is a good student. And if a student reads 20 minutes every night, that is going to set them up for success. And if they don't and you miss a night, you are completely screwing them over. Good luck when they're 18. Their life is over. They're going to need therapy. I mean, truth be told, my girls will probably at some point in their life need therapy and it will have nothing to, to do with me, yet everything to do with me. And that that is not that is not a reflection of me being a poor parent. That is a reflection of them being different people and having different needs and maybe me not having the tools as a person to give them what they need. So we got to seek those tools out. But everything in achievement culture from as we go teaches us that it's us that's that there's something wrong with. We need to fit into what it looks like. Our test wasn't high enough to meet the mark. Our grades weren't good enough to do that. That essay wasn't inspiring enough. You didn't get into that college because they didn't want you. No, sir. There are other reasons. You have to go to college. Well, you know what? Not everyone is meant to go to college. All right. I'm just going to say it. I call bullshit. Not everybody is meant to call college. They're just not. Some people are meant to be artists. Some people are meant to do hair. Some people, I mean, in cosmetology school, frankly, they have to do like a thousand hours of school. Like that in itself. Like trade school is no joke, you guys. And people want to make it about this achievement culture. We were joking. My girlfriend and I were on the phone and we have a friend who's a plumber and he makes bank. <laughs> like we have friends who went to like some of the most prestigious schools around and he is literally schooling every one of them. If you want to look at quote unquote, like financial achievement as an achievement, like if that's your, if that's your beef, sir, you need to talk to this man because he is owning your pipes <laughs> because this achievement culture, it never really goes away, but it, it seeps into your life and you don't see it and you don't know it's there. And when you do know it's there, right, you're a student. My God, I was looking at London tonight and I just felt bad because 
She came from a full day of school, which, oh my God, you guys, come on. Like 8 a.m. to 3.15, that child was in school. Holy cow, okay? And then she stops school to go to swim practice, which she enjoys, right? That's why we're doing it because I wanted to wait until the girls had a little opinion on stuff, right? So she's enjoying it. I'm happy for that. She still had homework due that was assigned today. She had 20 minutes of reading. She had an online test. She had a math worksheet. She had her spelling worksheet. She had her vocab because she's got a vocab and a spelling test today. She's in second grade. Second grade. And she came home and she's sitting there. I have finished. Okay, I'm tired from my day, right? Okay, but she came from school. She went to swim. She's doing homework. It is now 7.45 at night. And I'm looking at this eight-year-old sitting at the computer. And I'm just like, oh, my God. I look at her and go, baby, are you tired? She goes, yes. And I'm like, are you almost done? Or do I just need to write a note to the teacher? Because I am not about to keep an eight-year-old up to do a spelling task. I'm just not. I'm not about it. It's not what we're going to do. I'll take the heat. You're in second grade. I don't know a college alive that digs into your elementary career. If people want to be like, oh, responsibility and this. Uh, no, sir. Again, I call BS. But it's interesting because we tie it to everything. We tie it to the passing. And all of it stems from this comparison that's really taught to us young. Because you overhear these conversations. Did you hear what so-and-so's kid did? Oh, my gosh. And this is not to guilt you because you can't prevent all that. That's going to seep in anyways in the classroom when teachers are doing the whole, like, you get a star because you did this and you get a this because you did this. Oh, but you don't get a sticker because you didn't do this, right? And that's And there's ways that people motivate. And whether I agree or disagree with how people motivate – it is It is what it is. And I can't control a classroom. I can only try and control things on my end where I'm impacting them. But what, if you look at your life and you can really think about it, look at where all these ideas of achievement kind of fall into your day. Through social media, through, like you can't get away from it. It touches everything. What have I done? What have I achieved? Look at the other people my age, right? I'm third. I'm, I'm going to be 36 this year. Let me look at some people in my age bracket who are just like really slaying it. And here, you know, I could look at people with a podcast. I always, one day I dream that this podcast would be picked up by like some company, right? So we could reach more people, right? I just want to touch more people. Um, not just, you know, I do want to touch you in your hearts, but I'd love to hug you too. But, and, and, if I look at other people who are peers around me who have podcasts, right? We'll just use podcasts as an example. And I look at them and they're at, you know, big hosting places and they're recording in studios. And I go out and I just tell myself, wow, Amanda, you're 30, you're th- 36 this year. Your podcast doesn't have that many. Lives. And if I tie it to achievement, I am missing the whole freaking reason I started this podcast. And it was to have coffee with you. It was to do the laundry with you. It was to sit with you in, in the car, on the run, in your dorm room, when you're alone, when you're lonely, and you need maybe someone to fall asleep to. Maybe someone to sit with you while you don't want to go into that, you know, one, like, I don't know, study hall or something and fill alone where you need someone to distract. The reason I started this was because I just wanted to talk to you. 
I wanted to share with you, I wanted you to come back to a place that feels like you're coming to the same coffee shop every week where we talk and we chat and maybe it inspires you. I wanted it to feel like a place where when you listen, maybe something clicks. Because here's the thing, and I told this story this week. Um, I started doing these little Instagram things every day. I didn't do it today because I had a sponsored piece today, and I wanted everyone to see that. And I don't like posting twice a day, if I'm honest. It makes me feel, like, very spammy. But I, I shared this piece of advice that I got from this casting director when I was, like, 11 or 12. And I had just left the... I had just gone into an audition after someone pretty notable had gone in before me, a, a child actor at the time. And she's awesome, and she's done really well for herself now. And at the time, she was doing pretty well for herself, okay? And the casting director, my stomach's rumbling. The casting director looked at me when I came in, and I did the audition, and I felt good about the audition, right? Mm -hmm. And afterwards, you can kind of, after a little while, get a vibe of like, did that go well? Is that going to go well? And not that it always happens. But I could just kind of tell that this this was not going to happen for me. So I, I read the lines. I did it. We, we ran it through like two or three times. They taped it, you know. And I was like, okay, thank you. And I don't know if she could tell I was discouraged or whatever. But she's like, can I give you some advice? And you're like, sure. You know, you're like the 11 or 12-year-old taking feedback. Because um, they don't hold back, right? They're trying to help you and you're trying to develop and hone a skill. And she said basically something along the lines of, just because, you know, you don't get this part, not saying I wasn't getting that part at the time, but just because you don't get a job, don't let yourself believe that it's because someone didn't want you. And I, I, I don't know if I knew at the time how impactful what she was saying was, but she said, you know, you might just not have the right eye color, the right height. You might not be the, the version of who we need. But that has nothing to do with the version of who you are. And I think it's really important in that environment to realize every audition has a job description. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. And you just might not fit the job description for that job, but it doesn't mean that you're not good enough for other things. And I think that that's what the achievement culture of going and doing, and it plays into, I mean, it starts from the womb and it goes when you're in the workplace. Who's working harder than me? Who's going harder than me? You know, go hard and do this and do that and have a side hustle and get up, be that girl. That trend right now, the that girl trend, I feel like it's so toxic to expect a one size fits all of, I wake up at 5 a.m. and I, and hear me out. I think it's amazing if that is what you want to do. If that is the version of that girl, more power to you. If getting up and doing yoga at 545 literally sends your bells, I mean, three cheers, my boo. Sometimes for me, what sends my bells and makes me that girl is ice rolling my face in a dark closet at 6 a.m. in complete silence for five minutes or at 10 p.m. Or sometimes what sends my bells is recording this podcast and getting to share with you guys. Because when these things are stirred in my soul and when I feel them like I need to share them, I know that there's someone who needs to hear it. And I know that there's someone who needs to hear the fact that your achievements are not completely the determination of who you are. And what I mean by that is it is so hard to not let your identity be defined by the 
plethora of things that you can achieve as a parent, as a student, as an athlete, as a human, as a woman, as a man, as a person, as a whatever version you're going to translate that to. And I, I stopped myself today on the live. Someone mentioned someone mentioned it actually because I've been working on it. I said something along the lines of, oh, you know, because that's lazy. And then I stopped myself. I was like, no, I'm not lazy. It's just that's not at the moment what I wanted to do because that self-talk and that stopping yourself in the thought process is a daily practice. You can say literally all the affirmations you want and still treat yourself like shit. I mean, I'm sorry. You can wake up every morning and you can say, I'm beautiful. I'm empowered. And there is a power in empowering yourself in the morning and you're reminding you of that. But if you are going to talk nasty to yourself every day, you're literally not doing a thing. Those are just words you're speaking. But if you start to fill yourself talking trash and you reframe your inner dialogue, and instead of thinking I'm lazy, you think, actually, I was really just tired. I wasn't lazy this morning. I am beat. I am exhausted. I've got, you know, campaigns I'm working on and I'm doing, you know, TikToks and Instagrams and I'm trying to get the YouTube back up and I've got the podcast and I've got three kids in school and I've got two kids doing homework and I've got one in swim and I've got one in, you know, reading support and I've got one with, you know, an IEP and and therapy, and I've got all these things, right? Maybe I'm actually not lazy and I'm just freaking tired. But if I allow the achievement culture to dictate that I'm lazy, I'm not going to feel good about what I'm doing. I'm going to beat myself up and I'm going to tell myself I'm not good enough. And I already have spent so much of my life telling myself I'm not good enough. There has to come a point where you're like, dang, I'm out here trying to encourage all these other people and I'm just dumping on myself all day. But achievement culture doesn't tell you to stop. It tells you to keep going. It tells you to remind yourself that you're not doing enough so you continue to push yourself. And I would like to pick someone to blame for that. And I'm sure that somebody could blame something, someone, some construct, some human being. But the point is, is that we are in control. And there is an accountability in that that we can own. And that happened for me when I stopped seeing what my kids did as reflective of who I was. If my tiny person has a bad day and is rude to someone, that's not reflective of my parenting. They are an individual who had a tough day. That is reflective of where they were. And that is something they need to take ownership of. That if I can help walk them through that and rectify that situation, I will. But it doesn't make me a bad parent. It doesn't mean I haven't taught them or tried to instill in them a love and respect for people. It means they had a tough day because they're a person with their own emotions that have nothing to do with me. But when we make it reflective of us, we make the identities one and the same. And so what they do is held to our standard of things. Well, you know, when I was your age, well, I can tell you that excuse no longer plays out. And I, I say excuse because it's no longer a reason to look at, I think, a lot of students and be like, well, when I was your age, because they're going to flip around and go, really? You lived through a pandemic? You wore, you, 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 you wore yourself out, whether it was Zoom, it was school, it was not in school, it was in school. You, you went through that. You missed graduations. You missed proms. Like, and yeah, everybody has their cross to bear and everybody has their burden to bear or whatever you want to say. 
But I think one of the best things that we can do as human beings for our people that are gifted to us in this life is not make their identity synonymous with ours, is not take ownership for everything they do being a reflection of us. Because it goes to what I've talked about before, and it's that ego. That ego that tells us everything you do is about me. I mean, imagine living in that world. Did you live in that world? You're somewhere and you say something and your parent pulls your side and they're like, do you hear how disrespectful we, you're making everyone look bad here. You're making your entire family look bad. Everything is a reflection on the family. I think a poor Mulan, man. That worked out for Mulan, okay? People said dishonor on your family. Look what that did for her. Boom, okay? Freaking warrior. And you know what? It was because everybody made it about how it was going to look on them. Mulan showed them all. (laughs) You know? Because I I think that this, this idea of gentle parenting, sometimes the title of it, I just am not obsessed with because I think it again ties this achievement to how you deal with the people in your life, right? But I think what it really is, is I think it's a way of looking inward because as I call, you know, the girls, we've talked about it before, your kids can be your tiny triggers. And what seeing them as individuals makes you do is evaluate who you are and what you've been through. And looking inward is not enjoyable all the time. It's not, I do not recommend in terms of a a pastime. But when you start to look at why you're so angered by something they do, it usually ties back to something with you. When I look at the knee-jerk parenting moments I have because nobody is perfect and everybody has moments where you completely feel like you screwed the pooch, um, I look at them and why something they do triggers me. Why is the whining in this moment triggering you? I wasn't allowed to whine. You need to suck it up. I, What you're dealing with now, you, you don't. And you can hear yourself saying, I didn't get to do that. No one validated me in that moment. What are you doing? And then when you hear that, you're like, ooh, wait a second. Wait a second, Amanda. You're pissed right now, actually, because you didn't get to do that. Why are you? But is what they're doing wrong or is what they're doing an outlet of emotion that we need to channel differently that actually you have to stop your trigger in order to do? Ooh, and it's like a runaway train. I told this story on the live today. Oh my gosh, there was so much on the live today. Basically, this is like me recapping the live, I guess. But I was talking about how a couple nights ago we came home, you know, again, we started swim this week. So everyone's adjusting to a schedule, including the other two, because they're coming with me to the practice, right? Um, And they got to swim tonight in a fun part of the pool. So that was exciting for them because they're not doing swim team. And Paige was tired and oh my God, she was whining. And I was so exhausted, you guys. I was just like, It's that point where there are some nights, there are so many things I love about parenting, but there are some nights that you, you feel in this. And I felt this as a college student too. You hit this wall where you're like, I'm done. I am done. I am done with anything happening in this situation. I have to get to this end point. For me, that's bedtime. As a college student, it was getting back to my dorm room to completely just be left and sit in silence and not conversate with a soul. And I'm looking at her and she's starting to cry. And I have no sympathy in my heart at this point. The empathy odometer was like flat. 
because I was tired and I was so focused on that. And I'm looking at her and I'm like trying not to be like, what is wrong? Like, and not be irritated. And I can fill myself and I can fill that volcano. And I can, I'm like, okay, disrupt before you erupt. Amanda, disrupt before you erupt. I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to regret it. It's so close to bedtime. If you literally lose your ish right now, you're going to be so upset at yourself. And it's only going to elongate this process because with Paige, every child is different, but with Paige, if you erupt on her, it destroys her. It is so, it's, it's just not, it's just not good for her as a person. Okay. For me to lose my mind. Right. So I'm like, okay. And I'm like, Paige, honey, are you just like exhausted right now? Are you exhausted? And she looks at me and she's like, yes. And I'm like, do you need a hug? And she literally is like holding her face. She's like, I'm so tired. And I get down and she's like, can I, yes. Can I please have the hug? And I hug her. And as I'm hugging her, all of a sudden, I feel the empathy odometer. It, 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 it bursts up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you tiny person. If I'm tired, boo, you're exhausted. I always think of it in this way. You know how when you're really little, if your parent has a big stride when they're walking? My dad is like, for every one of his steps, strides as a child, it was like five of my feet and running basically. Okay. And the man takes the long steps, very long legs. He's like six, five, and he does not take small steps. And you have to hustle to keep up with him. Right. And that is a lot of how I remind myself of how the tiny people's brain works. Like, right. The Queens, their brains operate at the level which they operate at the age and development that they are. My brain operates differently. So where I'm speeding through other things, they are literally coming up behind me as they get there chugging along. But it is a lot of effort. They have not had the practice. They have not had the skills. They have not done the things, right? So they are in a constant state of learning, which is exhausting. And when I saw this and I was reminded of that and I could take that deep breath and I got that hug, it reminded me of that. And somebody said today when I said that, they said, well, don't you think that the hug distracts from the behavior? And I would say, nay, sir. Nay, it does not. Because here's the thing. If you are in a situation, the reason I use hugs for everything and I always offer a hug first is security. Whether you are having a meltdown, whether you are screaming, whether you have done something completely rude, whether you have smacked or whatever, I am going to offer a hug first because here's the thing. If my person is sitting there when they know that they've done something wrong, because they do, they know, they're like, oops, shouldn't have done that. They are only going to be focused on the outcome. So as I talk to them and try and have a conversation with them or engage with them or talk to them about the, you know, like, why would we do this and reason with them on any level, which again, taking into the developmental, can you even reason with them? If they are so focused on the outcome of what is going to happen and the, the insecurity they feel with, are you upset? What's going to happen? Is this, you know, where's the situation going to go? They are not listening to you. You are getting nowhere. There is no groundwork being done. Nothing. But if you offer a hug, you completely disarm that anxiety they might feel. You completely provide that security. And then they are able to focus and look at you and say, okay. It's like Corey tonight. Corey got mad. She was doing something. She was laying on the kitchen floor. She was so annoyed with me. And I went to throw something away. And as I was doing it, she kicked the um, cupboard door with her foot. And it smacked my hand because that's where the trash can was. And I went, ouch. 
and she looked at me and I had a look on my face because I was like, that hurt, dude. I looked at her, I was like, are you kidding me, Corey? You just kicked my hand. She's like, no, I kicked the door. I was like, uh-uh, girl, my hand was in that door and that hurt. She's like, I didn't mean to. I was like, doesn't mean to, I understand, but it still doesn't take away the fact that feet are for running and jumping, not kicking, one. And two, if you hadn't kicked it, it wouldn't have mattered. We don't do that. It was not how we handle our emotions. And I could see that she was just looking at me and I'm looking at her and she's looking at me and I'm like, I need a second because I was mad. I'm like, I need a second. Okay. She's like, okay. She comes back. She goes, I'm sorry. I was so I'm glad you're sorry, but I'm concerned that you did that. And I looked at her and I said, but do you want a hug? And I get down. I always get down. I get down because having someone look down on you is just overwhelming. Even as an adult, if I think I'm in trouble and the person is like low key taller than me, I get anxiety. Um, and so I get down and I sit, I'm like, you want a hug? And she comes over and she sits and she hugs me and she's like, I'm so sorry. Feet are not supposed to kick like that. And I'm like, yes, girl, can we talk about that? And yeah, she's four, but we had a conversation about it. Will she do it again? There is a literal 50, 50 chance that's going to happen again, but we're going to work on it and we're going to work through it and we're going to find better tools and we're going to find better outlets. Because there's little moments like tonight when Paige wanted something and my girls have been really big on the that's not fair thing. Hey, that's not fair. That's not fair. And I'm like, dude, fair doesn't mean you get the exact same thing. Fair means you get your needs, your needs met. And I'm big on that. Fair does not mean you get exactly what everybody else gets. That's not how it works, boo-boo. But you get what your needs are, right? So tonight, Blake was, you know, he throws the girls on the bed for fun at bedtime nine times out of 10, right? It's super disruptive when you're trying to calm them down, but they're living life. So I try to keep myself in check with it, right? And she sees him do it to Corey and she's like, you did it. You threw Corey on the bed. That's not fair. Wait, no, hold on. This is her. This is literally her to herself. She's saying that she starts to say that it's not fair. She gets out the, it's not fair. And she goes, Wait, no, okay, hold on. Dad, can I please have a turn being thrown? And I literally erupted. I was like, yes, girl, oh my gosh. Because I cannot tell you, we've been working on the that's not fair thing for months. And that was the very first time that little six-year-old stopped herself. And instead of seeing somebody else get something and be like, that's not fair, she asked for what she wanted. Now, Blake still might have been like, hey, girlfriend, uh, not tonight, right? And that might have not felt fair to her, and we would have talked through that. But tonight, I took that victory of the fact that she corrected herself, and we all cheered. We were, woo! You know, because you want to celebrate that growth. That, to me, is an achievement for her. I don't take ownership on that. That is a developmental achievement for her. I will take that over an A-plus on a test any day. So what is the moral of the story? (laughs) Well, moral of the story is I'm glad this was a longer podcast because I like spending time with you and I feel like I needed to spend a little extra time with you. But the moral of the story is when you tie your identity or when you tie your self-worth to the expectations of achievement, you will always be disappointed. You will always be disappointed because your best will never be good enough. And the most you give will never be enough because you can always give more. Not that you should, but that's how the achievement culture works. You got an eight, great. What are you going to do next time? You finish that project, great. What are you going to do with the next one? 
You got that promotion, great. When are you going to get the next one? There will always be something bigger and better that you can want to achieve or move to achieve. There will always be a self-reflecting identity that you can take on. There will always be an opportunity as a parent to make what your kids do reflective of you. But I encourage you not to buy into that. It is toxic. It's toxic for you and it's toxic for them. Because it takes from them their identity and it takes from you the ability to be a person. To watch them grow as an individual and be excited for them. To allow them to experience disappointment or success and not make it yours. I think there is a beauty in being fallible and not needing to be the best. Because there is a beauty in the journey. Because if you're the best, what are you learning? Right? I never want to be the top number one at anything. Because I just always feel like I need to be in a constant state of learning. I just feel like that's where I'm happiest. I think that that is the moral of the story. Do not buy into the idea that you are not good enough exactly as you are if you never did anything else. Do not buy into the idea that you cannot do anything else and that you are only meant to be just what you are or whatever negative version you think of yourself. Buy into the idea that achievement is found in feeling proud of yourself for the work you're doing on the journey you're on. And take the pressure of reaching a destination off because life itself is not a a one-stop shop. It is not an ending destination. It is a constant journey. The world is always turning. It's always moving. And that is life. So feel good to pump the brakes. Feel good to reevaluate. When you are not tied to achievement as an identity, you are more able to move and change and try new things and change your mind. So... I leave you with this. If no one has told you lately, you have exponential and limitless potential. You are loved. I love you. You are worthy and you are good enough exactly as you are. And if you need to rewind, well, forward really, this podcast or rewind it if you're at the end to hear that over and over every day, if you need someone to tell you that you were created exactly as you needed to be and there is no one like you because you are a limited edition version of yourself never to be reproduced, do it. I'll tell you it every morning and every night and multiple times a day. That's what this recording is here for. So I love you. I am blessed by you. I thank you for the support. Again, to those that are supporting us on Anchor, our little monthly subscribers, y'all just set my heart on fire when you, I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) it's so exciting. And for those of you that are just here to support me with your listening and be here, I'm grateful for you. And for those of you that find support here, I am so excited you're here.
So thank you. Have a wonderful night. And we will see you next week.